I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, hour number two, and as always, the final hour for the program. Just a reminder again to Cougar fans we'll have Cougar Sports Saturday at noon today. The first big test for the Cougars in their Big 12 area happens on the road. It's not a Big 12 game, but they're going to be on the road in Arkansas with the SEC. And uh, we will have that game later this afternoon. But Chad, or Chad, uh, Mitch and Matt will actually walk you right up to game time uh, here on the home of the Cougars uh, this afternoon. So starting at noon, just plan on Cougar coverage all the way probably until midnight tonight, which is going to please all of you out there. Tim Hughes here. Uh, Mike Navidovsky is still with me. Uh, Navi, I, we were just talking off the air during the break that uh, I was watching last week's Ute game using the VPN, which uh, you know helps send a signal somewhere else in the world so that you can make, get access to things you otherwise would not. And I was watching from a, a hotel room in Paris when the VPN froze with three minutes left, and uh, unfor- unfortunately one of the guys on the bus had given me a little spoiler on the way, so I knew something good was coming. I just didn't know what. <laughs> yeah, those are, those people are not your friend. And and we also say this, I, you know me, I'm a technological phobe, and I just, yeah, that's part of the coach. I've never had every technology has always messed me up i that's why i go to the games <laughs> it was it was a kick to be there uh and be able to watch it on delay obviously uh on tape and i kept getting text from uh, Corey, my oldest son and he didn't want to you know give it away what was about to happen but he kept asking me how much time's left in the game how are you <laughs> feeling what's your attitude right now uh but uh heck of a comeback for the utes last week uh, good luck to uh, the Wildcats. It'll be on the hill taking on uh, the Utes today and to uh, the Cougs who are going to be on the road against the Razorbacks. I mentioned to you last half hour, Navi, that these numbers that just came out, and I got the uh, press release from Faith over at the Division of Wildlife on the poaching that's been going on. 173 wildlife illegally killed in the state. A hundred of those are fish. So we thought we'd uh, reach out to Chad Betridge, who is a law enforcement captain with the Division of Wildlife Resources. Chad, welcome into the conversation here. I always hope that when it comes to this time of year for us to talk about these things, and it usually happens around the hunt season, that we're doing a better job of uh, keeping this kind of stuff from taking place. But, man, what's going on? Yeah, it seems like it's a, it's a never-ending battle for our guys going out there trying to, try, trying to slow this down a little bit. But uh, 
they're doing a pretty good job. They're working. It's it's just a couple unique situations this year, I think. We'll get to some of the specifics of this, and I I fall into this trap of saying, well, a hundred of those were just fish, but the impact on fisheries is the same as the impact with big game, right? Absolutely, and if you, in the grand scheme of things, I we we spend an awful lot of money in the division of wildlife on our blue ribbon fisheries and making sure that our our reservoirs and our lakes are full of fish that people can go out and, and fish if they want to, or even you know coming up here in a, in a month or so, or, or it might have already started up at Strawberry just to see the kokanee run up into the into the streams is something that's just really cool. So fish are just as important as every other wildlife. And Navi, I'm sure you put even more importance on that because you are such a fisherman. You know, Tim, it just boggles my mind, the mindset behind this. Um, I, You know, I don't really understand. I have two questions. One is, is the numbers we're reporting because we're becoming far better at actually having an accurate assessment of how much crime is going on regarding poaching? Or is there just something in the air where people think they can do whatever they want? You wouldn't go into a grocery store and steal something. Anything that you're gathering from the river and keeping when you shouldn't is stealing. And more importantly, where's the thrill? Like, yeah, I did really good on some sort of athletic event, but I cheated the whole way. There's no thrill in that. No, I agree 100% there, Navi. It's it's interesting because uh, in some cases with these, there's been a few instances instances where there have been considerable amounts of fish that were taken over the limit. And in a lot of those times, it's people that are just not familiar with the rules and, and they just kind of got carried away. But there are also instances where people do it 100% on purpose, and that's I agree with you. They're just they're just cheating, trying to take stuff from from the rest of us to to for whatever reason they have. We've already had hunts going on out there, and so I'm going to read some of the other numbers that uh, were sent over in this press release. We gave you the 173 of illegally killed animals. Fifteen of those were big game, by the way. Uh, but during this fall's hunts, conservation officers have contacted roughly 10,000 individuals inspected hunting and fishing licenses of 4,300 people from August 1st to September 11th. During that time frame, you've issued 500 citations and continue to investigate some other violations. I mean, for people just to say, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't know what the limit was, that doesn't change the penalty, does it? Not necessarily, no. Uh, A lot of times, if, if, if people are out there purposefully trying to break the law, the, the penalties can be more severe. Uh, for those people that, that make mistakes, uh, we, we are willing to maybe, you know, go a, a reduced charge or something like that. However, they are, we do ask the courts to require those people that take too many to pay for the restitution of those fish. So, for example, a rainbow trout's worth 25 bucks. So if you take a, you know, 16, 18 of those that are over the limit, we're asking you to pay 25 bucks a piece for those because we got to, we got to, replace them yeah what are you asking people to do here Uh, we always you know warn against being uh, vigilante and keeping yourself safe in the case of a sticky situation but at least get gps coordinates license plates things like that yeah so one of the cool things we got going on is our is uh the the utah dwr uh law enforcement app uh if you can download download that onto your phone uh it will log local GPS, you can take pictures of it, and you can send it directly to an officer. And there can be some communication back and forth through text messages. And that's 
turned out to be a really effective way for our officers to interact with the public and to, to collect information uh, dealing with these uh, activities. We were just talking about uh, what's going on up at Strawberry with the uh, kokanee that are headed up the Strawberry River. I was trying to remind people that that could also get you in trouble if you catch and keep any kokanee this time of year. Yeah, it's really important to you know get the guidebooks. Uh, there's digital versions. You can pick them up, uh, you know, hard copies from all the sporting goods stores. But, yeah, we, we understand there's there are rules, and there's sometimes it seems like there's a lot of rules, but they're easily accessible, and we just want people to make sure they know what they're doing prior to going into the field. I always wonder, Navi, um, I, I see uh, conservation officers from time to time at the fish cleaning stations at Strawberry, for instance, where they're just talking to folks up there. Uh, but uh, taking anything live from uh, a lake or a reservoir is also a problem. I'm sure, Navi, you tell people that in your fishing classes. Well, absolutely. You know, Tim, it really is the burden of the fishing public. I mean, there are only so many officers, and they can't peruse every river at every moment. But any of us that encounter such a thing, you talk about the vigilante end of it and the possible endangering of yourself, I think if they encourage reporting like people i shouldn't report that guy i should report that guy and they don't they maybe should just take the 25 dollars per fish and give it to whoever reported it and i think there'd be more incentive to turn people in it's a horrible thing i don't understand the mindset one time my son and i were coming off strawberry and there was this man and he was fishing and he had three fish on his stringer and i go hey you got some nice ones there and he held them up and they were lovely and he was just beaming with pride and my son, who was very young and naive at the time, got in the car. He goes, Dad, I, I, I realize why people who kill fish kill fish. I go, why? And he goes, because they don't catch very many. Three fish, and he was happy. And I go, oh, that's true. I, I think it comes with people who don't you know, have the ability to be successful really need to reward themselves by pounding them chest and sticking something in the freezer and showing the spouse that they're the great hunter or something. I don't understand why they want to kill above limits yeah i think trying to get into the heads of people and it varies obviously from case to case but trying to get into the heads of people that actually do it intentionally would be impossible i remember what it was i was going to ask you about chad in the uh, minute or so we have left here i ran across a story and i actually shared it on our facebook page that you can uh, receive a donation of wild game meat and sign up for this program uh, where you donate meat from animals that had to be euthanized uh, or confiscated because they were poached. I didn't know that actually existed. Sure. We try as hard as we can to not let meat go to waste on animals that we have to put down. Um, you know, if they were in a spot that they shouldn't have been or they got wrapped up in a fence or something like that. So if, if we come across something of that nature, we'll try to find somebody to donate it to. And if people are interested in that, I'd, I'd have them reach out to their their regional offices and talk to the, the either the the office manager there or or get in touch with the lieutenant of the the region, and they can you know work through that, get on a list, and and have uh, the opportunity to get some meat, meat donated to them. Yeah, I had no idea that was the case. Um, and somebody asked a question on your Facebook page from the Division of Wildlife about whether that also uh, was true with roadkill, and I guess it is for the person that. That hit the animal, although, uh, you know, things like rack mounts and anything else would be have to be turned over. Sure. And we do remind people that, you know, when you impact a deer or an elk with a car, it does cause a lot of damage on that animal. And, and, and 
and have maybe kill them. Yeah. But some of that some of that meat might not be that great to eat with you know bone fragments and and, and blood in the meat and stuff like that. So. I would I would just get a hold of an officer and they could work you work through the process. That's great stuff. Uh, you can text officers by the way at eight four seven four one one. You can call the Utah Turn In a Poacher Hotline at one eight hundred six six two three 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 seven. And the UTIP Hotline is staffed twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Chad, thanks for the work you and your team do uh, day in and day out. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. We will take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're doing a little road tripping with the boys. We'll find out where they want to go for uh, taking in all the beautiful fall color and a little bit about what they've been up to. Both of them have been on the road. We're talking uh, Bob Grove, Mark Wade. That's next on KSL Outdoors Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to change things up a little bit this week as we do our road tripping with Bob and Mark just in time for the season. I see trees of green, red. Of course, the, uh, we're going to get some reds even in the leaves on those trees as we make our turn toward fall, autumn, if you want to call it that. But uh, a lot of it going on already up in the high country. Makes for a beautiful time of year here at home. What a wonderful world. Bob Grove, Mark Wade are with us. Uh, Bob, you're in southern Utah, but there's still places down there to find the color, isn't there? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, we have, we're, we have high plateaus here, and we're starting to see the changes up on top. It'll be a good fall, hopefully. We don't know yet. It's still a little early. Yeah. Probably more color where you are these days, uh, Mark. And I know you've been doing a little adventuring, which we'll talk more about in our next segment. But this has become a favorite uh, segment for me every year. I don't know how many years we've been doing this together, but where we run down some of the uh, uh, fall drives that are really spectacular. And I think you wanted to start up in the Cache Valley. Yes. Uh, Logan Canyon. You know, up to Bear Lake, that's a spectacular drive. You're, you're driving uh, up in elevation. The color should be changing there as soon as anywhere. And you get some of the coldest temperatures in the state are up by Peter Sinks up there, you know, on the top of Logan Canyon. And so it's going to be cool up there, and that makes the leaves change quickly. Yeah, and one of my favorite stretches, I say this every year, is that uh, road that you, you know, head through the canyon from Manaway Reservoir or Manaway proper right up to uh, Logan. And I guess it's because there's so many oak trees that when they start to change, just vibrant red colors. Ogden Canyon is another spot, and I used to see this every year because we kept our boat up at Pine View Reservoir, but that was always one of my favorite places. That's a fantastic drive, and of course, just getting up into those upper valleys is, is beautiful this time of year. You know, this is a great time for uh, people just to get into their car in the morning or early afternoon, take a drive up one of these canyons or one of these scenic areas and, and take a picnic. 
get some lunch up where you're going. I mean, what a, what a nice day excursion. I'm glad you said that because rather than just passing by on the roads, find a spot that's particularly beautiful and take the time just to pull up, even if there aren't picnic tables there, and spend a little while uh, to take in all of that. Mirror Lake Scenic Byway, of course, is one most people know about. The Alpine Loop is another one, although this time of year that can get crazy busy. It can, and, uh, you know, it's it's a narrow, windy road. So, you know, I think if people get out early in the morning or late in the evening, they'll probably avoid some of the traffic, and that's a good thing for the Alpine Loop. The Nebo Loop, just coming south of there, down by where I live, that's a beautiful one, a little longer, a little less narrow, and just spectacular. It hasn't turned yet. I mean, we're just starting to see the color. So if you're talking about really getting a show, we're probably, I don't know, it's guesswork on our part, both of you. Uh, but, Bob, maybe 10 days, two weeks maybe? Generally, it, the peak in the high country, usually around the last week of September, early October, that's been pretty consistent, but it may fluctuate slightly from year to year. Yeah. A little farther south, though, Mark, Scenic Byway 12 is always beautiful, but spectacular this time of year. You know, just south of Torrey in Capitol Reef National Park, you're going to rise from about Oh, Tories at about 5,500 feet, and you're going to go up over 9,000 feet up onto Boulder Mountain. From up on top of that view, and a couple of Bob and I's favorite locations to look out over the vast expanse of Utah, you're looking out across the water pocket fold, out to the Henry Mountains, all the way over to Moab even. And those views from the Boulder Mountains at 9,000 feet are going to be beautiful with these fall colors. Brian had got snow this past week. That'll really trigger some change there. It will, and and Bob probably could talk about that. Bob, you have been up in that area trying to get some photographs. Actually, I was supposed to go up there tomorrow evening. I'm going to still try to do that if I can. But talking to Mike, our our buddy Mike Samish, yeah, they're uh, they're tuning up the skis. <laughs> you had an idea today, Bob, and I like this. Uh, in the 90 seconds or so we have left, we reach 11 western states this time in the morning, the reach of the 50,000 watts that can't be interrupted by the mighty KSL in Salt Lake City. Have you got a couple of ideas of places outside the state maybe we could target, or maybe we've got listeners listening in those areas? Yeah, I'll just rattle off a few here really quickly. One that I really enjoy is Highway 67 from Jacob Lake to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. That'll stay open until about mid-October. And that's a very colorful, especially with the Aspens. And then my very favorite is Highway 550, the San Juan Skyway from Durango to Uray on the Million Dollar Highway. That to me is, uh, it's just just amazing. I mean, I I am on a high when I go on that road, literally, but it's, it's, uh, it's a Rocky Mountain high. Yeah, it's such a beautiful stretch of road. I I absolutely uh, love that stretch. Another one that is really pretty is the Moose Wilson Road from Teton Village to Moose, uh, Wyoming, up in the Grand Teton National Park. Um, Just I I was just up there recently. And then lastly, this is one of my favorites. Also, it's magical is from Haley to Ketchum Sun Valley through the Wood River Valley. Uh, the leaves there are, you know, Sun Valley is spectacular anyway, but it's absolutely magical in the fall. Yeah, my dad used to live in Ketchum, so I got to go up there 
a few times uh, while he was there and spend a little more time than I otherwise would have. You're right. That's a great spot. All right, both of you, stand by, because uh, I want to find out more about the trips you just returned from, and we'll do that after we get a news update. But uh, that's a great idea, great list of ideas for you to go out and see some fall color over the next few weeks. Remember, you can go to Road Trippin' with Bob and Mark.com to find out more. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.